Well, let's dive right into scripture this morning. Today we are going to be looking at John chapter 4, starting in verse 43. John chapter 4, starting in verse 43. After the two days, he, speaking of Jesus, departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them at the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we come before you this morning and as we have heard your word spoken to us. Lord God, our desire is that our lives would be changed, that we would know you more, that your spirit would reside within us. And so God, would we have ears to hear and hearts that would be receptive to the things that you want to do in and through us, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, a few years ago, um, Vince and I and the boys took a long road trip to go visit um, some national parks. And we were on this long road trip and we visited Zion National Park and Arches, Mesa Verde and the Grand Canyon. And as we made our way to the parks, we would stop at the the national park signs at the entrance. You know, those iconic um, brown painted wooden signs with the white letters. Uh, and we would stop at these signs and, and take a family photo, much like um, many of you do when you go to national parks. And so we would take these photos and be able to post them on, on social media. Um, these welcome signs were a, a welcome sign to some wonderful and amazing landscapes just down the road. But can you imagine, though, if we took this long road trip to these destinations and after um, taking our family to these entrance signs, can you imagine if we piled back into our minivan and just drove on to the next stop, to the next national park, um, without ever having ventured further in to explore the sites there at the park? Can you imagine if we collected four amazing family photos in front of national park signs, but never stopped to take the time to actually explore them? What a wasted trip that would be. 
all of the planning and packing, the bathroom breaks, and the trying to keep our two young boys occupied in a minivan for hours on end, all the money spent on gas and food and hotel rooms, all so that we could collect a few photos of signs. This would be ridiculous, right? The signs aren't there to be the focal point or the main attraction, right? Those signs are simply there、uh, to alert you to the reality of a geographic marvel that awaits you,、um, that awaits your exploration just down the road. And the miracles in in John's gospel account serve as similar signs. Signs pointing us to the existence of something more wonderful than the miracles themselves. Signs pointing our attention to Jesus, to a King who has come to rescue, to redeem, and graciously rule over His creation. The signs in the book of John、um, are called just that. They're called signs, signs and wonders. In a lot of the other gospel accounts, they're described as miracles or acts of power, dunamos. They're meant to be in the other gospels a witness to the kingdom of God having broken through, and so that's why in a lot of other gospel accounts you'll see many stories、um, of demons being cast out and demons fleeing in the name of Jesus because they're meant to be、um, a, a, a reality that the kingdom of God is here, and so darkness is fleeing. But here in John, he likes to use. The word "sign" instead of the word for miracles. Signs pointing to Jesus, not so much evidence of the kingdom of God breaking in, but signs pointing to the King of this kingdom having arrived on the scene. But if in the book of John or elsewhere we just stop and look at the signs, if we just stop and marvel at the miracles, at the power on display, the amazing stories, if they're just simply a wonderful diversion, we will miss out on who the signs point to, to Jesus. The signs are there to help us believe. And the sign that just wows and amazes us isn't doing its job. It's nothing more than a diversion or entertainment, a moment of awe and wonder, like the show Magic for Humans. If any of you have seen that,、um, where this this magician just walks around、um, the streets performing these amazing、uh, acts of magic. But when I watch that, for me, it's a momentary. Source of entertainment where I marvel at the 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 magic that is on display on the TV screen, but in the end, it's just entertainment. But Jesus's miracles aren't simply a diversion. They aren't to meant to give us holy goosebumps. They aren't there to help us feel like we've experienced the supernatural. No, the signs and wonders that we see on display in the Gospel account of John are there. To point us to the one we should be in awe of, they're there to point us to Jesus. So, looking here at this story of an amazing miracle, we start out in verse forty-three. We see that Jesus has come from Samaria.
and he is um, entering now into Galilee. And now as Jesus is here entering into Galilee, he knows that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. But then we read right after that, that the Galileans welcome him. And at first, this seems confusing. If Jesus is saying that a prophet doesn't have honor, isn't welcomed in his own hometown, but then the Galileans welcome him, um, we would be right to step back and say, what's going on here? But what we see is that these Galileans who welcomed him had seen the miracles that Jesus had performed in Jerusalem. They had been there at the Passover feast when Jesus had disrupted the temple and then performed signs and wonders where many people believed. But in that account in chapter 2 of John, we see that though people believed because they saw the signs, Jesus then says that he didn't trust himself into their hands because he knew their heart. And so there was something about the way people were believing because of the signs that wasn't a sufficient belief in Jesus's mind. And so here, these same people that witnessed those miracles and the same people that might have witnessed the miracle of Jesus transforming the water into wine here in this town of Cana, welcome Jesus but Jesus knew that they saw the miracles and they were in awe of the miracles, but these miracles hadn't yet to them been a sign pointing them to who Jesus was. Jesus saw in the crowd a tendency to be satisfied with the miracle and never press further into the mystery that was being revealed, the mystery of God at work among them in the person of Jesus. So when a desperate father asks Jesus to travel with him back to his home in Capernaum to heal his dying child, Jesus takes the opportunity to speak to this father and to the surrounding townspeople about signs and wonders and believing. And so Jesus says to them, unless you, plural, see signs and wonders, you, plural, will not believe. And so here we see that Jesus isn't just speaking to the Father, but he's speaking to the crowd as well. And to the tendency, again, for people to stop at the miracle, stop at the sign, but never see who the sign is pointing them to. And so the, the question here is will this man, will this desperate father be like the crowds who only believed because they see signs and wonders? Or will there be a depth to his belief? Will he see the signs as pointing him to belief in Jesus? This desperate father had heard of Jesus. He obviously knew either firsthand or through stories that he had heard that this man Jesus was capable of miracles. And so when he comes to Jesus with this, this desperate cry that his son is on his deathbed, he's willing to travel a day's journey to approach Jesus and ask him to heal his son, ask him to use his power on behalf of his child. This man had heard enough about Jesus to believe that he could come and seek Jesus for a miracle. And when Jesus confronts this man and the crowd with their inability to believe without seeing, this man persists. He says, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus responds 
with a simple command, go, your son will live. The man says, come, and Jesus says, go. He was testing this father's faith. Will you believe even when you don't yet see the outcome you're wanting? Will you believe that I can heal, that I can heal without being present, that I can heal without even touching or seeing your child? Will you trust me even before you see a miracle take place? And the passage says that this man believed Jesus's word and he obeyed him. His belief in Jesus's word led him to action. He didn't just mentally assent to the fact that Jesus is capable of healing. No, his trust in Jesus, his belief was lived out. If Jesus says go because my child will live, then I'm going to go. I'm going to trust him. We see a faith displayed in this man that is in contrast to the crowds around him who are simply satisfied with the miracle alone. A faith that's more similar to the Samaritans in the previous story that we explored last week. The Samaritans' faith that caused them to see Jesus for who he was and declare him to be the savior of the world without any miraculous signs performed. This man's faith is similar to the Samaritans, similar to the outsiders, and is superior to the, the faith and the belief that the crowds around him were placing in Jesus. And so... The father hears the command from Jesus to go back home because his child lives. And so in his trust and belief in Jesus, he obeys. And on the, the long day's journey back home, he encounters his servants on the road coming to tell him the good news that the, his son's fever had left him and the child had recovered. And so when he realizes that the very hour his child was healed was the very hour that Jesus told him to go. His faith was bolstered. His faith um, became solidified. And not only this man, but his entire household put their trust in Jesus. The miracle scene was simply there to serve to further solidify this man's faith, a faith that had already been established when he followed Jesus's word. By Jesus not traveling back home with this man to heal his son, he gave this man an opportunity to believe without seeing. This is the kind of faith that Jesus praises at the end of the book of John in chapter 20, verse 29, when he says, Blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. And so when the man finally sees the miracle take place, his child is healed, his response is to put his trust, his faith, his allegiance in Jesus. He didn't stop just at marveling at the miracle of the sign, but instead he chose to travel deeper, to marvel at the one to whom the sign was pointing. And I think we, like this man, often long for miracles from God and often for very good reasons, like this father who wanted a miracle to save his child. But I think we can mistakenly believe 
that if only this miracle that I long for would take place, everything would be different. My doubts would be gone. People who are far off from Jesus would begin to follow him. A sign and a wonder sometimes is what we feel is needed to make the difference. But in the first few chapters of John, the author shows us that often signs and wonders can happen all around us and never cause us to move deeper to a true belief in the one who performs the signs. And moving on from this section in the coming weeks, we're going to be studying some more chapters in John, um, accounts of people who see even more signs and wonders, but instead of belief, we're going to encounter people who doubt, who actively oppose Jesus. We'll find those um, who have this anger and hatred towards him. We'll even find people abandoning Jesus. These are all people who have seen amazing miracles and signs, but the scene didn't lead to believing. Some will believe, and because of their belief, they will see Jesus clearly. But many, many others that we will encounter in the pages of John will see the signs and yet fail to believe. But first, before all the doubt and opposition happens in the book of John, we're given the story of a father who chooses to believe Jesus at his word even before he sees the miracle happen. And we're left to ponder the nature of our own faith and trust. Is our faith built on what we see, or is our faith built on Jesus? When we don't see God moving, will we still believe? When we don't yet have the answer we're looking for, when our circumstances haven't changed, when the pain is still present, when the confusion hasn't lifted, even when we're desperate and crying out, will we still believe and trust and obey Jesus' words spoken to us? When we desperately ask Jesus to come and he tells us to go, when we don't get the response we're expecting from God, when our faith is stretched, will we follow his word to us? Will we find our faith solid? Is our trust in the one who speaks to us built on Jesus, or is it built on what we can see with our eyes? Do we trust him even when we don't see the miracles and the breakthrough that we're asking for? And lastly, because the miracles in the book of John are meant to be signs pointing us to Jesus, I want to ask us the question right now is what does this story, what does this, this story of this miracle show us about who Jesus is? What will this miracle reveal to us today about Jesus? And for me, some of the things that I noticed about Jesus in this story is first his compassion and his graciousness. His response to this father's cry for help is a gift of healing. This man was likely an outsider because of his position as one of Herod's officials. He would likely have been seen as a collaborator and a traitor. But Jesus shows in his interactions, not only with the woman at the well in Samaria, but here with this, this father, this outsider, that he loves those that others exclude. 
that when culture draws lines in the sand and chooses sides, Jesus walks across our borders to heal, to love, and to welcome. And so Jesus here performs a gracious act of healing to a man that others would have seen as not worthy. And so Jesus displays to us here in this miracle his graciousness and his compassion. I also notice here in this story Jesus' power that simply at Jesus' word this child is healed. That Jesus simply speaks a word. He doesn't have to be present. He doesn't have to touch the child. He doesn't have to even be able to see the child. But at his word, life springs back into this young child's body. At the very beginning of John, in the intro to John, we read that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the Word of God, and the Word is the one who spoke everything into existence, spoke life into existence. And here in this story, we see Jesus again speaking a word of life. We see that this man, Jesus, truly is the Word, the one who was since the, before the beginning of time, before existence was here. The one who was with God in the beginning, who spoke life into being, now speaks a word of life. But mostly the thing I see on display here in the story, the thing I see revealed about Jesus, is that Jesus longs to reveal himself to us. The very existence of signs and wonders points to a God who wants to be known. A God who took on our flesh who came and dwelt with us, who lived and walked and taught and performed signs and wonders. This is a God who wants to be known by his creation. He wants to be known by you and by me. And would we encounter the miracles of God in scripture and the miracles that God continues to perform today as signs pointing us to a rev revelation pointing us to a revelation and an opportunity for us to see God's glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God wants to be found by you. He longs for you to know him, and he reveals himself in creation, in scripture, and through his spirit. And ultimately, he has revealed himself in Jesus Christ, the very image of the invisible God, because God longs to reveal himself to us so that we would know him. And so like a road trip to a national park, let's not stop and simply marvel at the sign, but let's go deeper together. Let's go explore who the sign is pointing to. Let's go and marvel together at who is behind the sign. May we as a people long for more of Jesus. Do you join me in prayer? Jesus, we thank you for 
the amazing ways that you continue to reveal yourself to us. Lord, we thank you that through scripture, we see you moving and active. Lord, we thank you for the way that you reveal yourself to us through your written word, the way you reveal yourself to us through your spirit. And God, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, you have made yourself known. And so today we confess that we long for more of you. We want to see you more clearly, to know you more deeply. And so we ask that you would come into our midst this morning, that wherever we find ourselves, we would meet you and that you would draw us deeper into yourself, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.